0: Hi April, can you just tell me your name?
1: My name is April Hebbard. We're in
0: Halifax, Nova Scotia. <laughs> I say your name and then ask exactly. you to tell me your name. Yeah. I am the height of professionalism. Hi, hello, and good day to you, you fabulous quirky queerdos. I'm T. Johnny, and this is episode 3 of Quirky and or Queer, a podcast about otherness. I am recovering from a really lovely few weeks of dealing with chronic pain, followed by an intense cold or flu, so I'm not my best self. However, I do have this really sexy Lindsay Lohan after three weeks of partying in Mykonos voice, so that's something... In this episode, I sit down with April Hubbard, local amazing human and advocate who is involved in just about everything. Many people know April to see her, and in fact, that's how I first met her. I would see her out and about in the community. We then became Facebook friends before becoming real friends, which is completely modern of us, and getting to know her has been a real pleasure. This episode was recorded on Valentine's Day. For my February 14th, I didn't have much in the way of romance, but I had the opportunity to hang out with some amazing quirky queerdos and celebrate other kinds of love. Love for community, love for the arts, and the love found within meaningful friendship. Valentine's Day might be a completely bullshit, heteronormative, consumer-driven holiday of red hearts and sad stories, but it's also sometimes just kind of fun, isn't it? Spending part of my Valentine's Day with April was definitely better than chocolate or flowers. In this episode, we talk about otherness as it relates to disability, sex, community work, and relationships. April has so much wisdom and experience to share, and I'm very grateful she shared so much. Otherness is a complex subject. We experience it in a multitude of ways. Being marginalized, feeling weird, being oppressed, or just feeling like you don't fit in. Otherness is often multifactorial. So, well, uh, let's get into it, shall we? This is quirky and/or queer. Mm. Mm. Oh, Lord. Let's see. If I were to sit here and you were to talk.
1: How's this, Johnny? <laughs>
0: Uh, laugh sounded really fake. Ha 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 ha.
1: The reaction was the best.
0: (laughs) Just like, oh, oh. I like, there's so many chords. Who knew podcasting would be involving so many chords?
1: I know, who would
0: have thought? Um, I have a big sip of tea so I don't have any mouth noises. (laughs) My mouth sounds. You wouldn't want mouth noises. I know.
1: Basically, like, talking is a mouth noise, though, so you do want mouth noises.
0: Oh, that's what. So I was at um, the Hello City show the other day. Yeah. And oh, were you there? No, I, I wanted to go, to go to that one, but I couldn't. The um, Matthew Downey was the yeah. the the guest, or whatever, and he yeah. kept talking about how he's making awkward mouth noises, but how the improvisers were going to make better mouth noises. <laughs> and no one has ever called it mouth noise. Oh, I've never yeah. heard it called mouth noises, yeah. so I was just floored. <laughs> I was like, "That's exactly what it is. It's yeah. it's mm-hmm. it's just yeah." We're talking. Exactly. It helps Just if I look at the microphone, noises. I think. <laughs> Does it? <laughs> Stare it down. Focus on Record the microphone. Me. <laughs> Record me. Record um, me. Yeah. We're recording. This is it. Okay. This is how you podcast, apparently. Okay, good. It's fun. It's Sitting on a couch is nice. Yes, it is. I feel like we're... This is almost like... As if we were on a first date and you invited me over your house and we were gonna watch a movie.
1: There you go. I'm trying to sit a
0: comfortable distance away from you. Yeah. Don't want our (laughs) hands to awkwardly touch. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Too much tension. (laughs) Oh my God. But it is Valentine's Day, so this is kind of a date. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Happy
1: Valentine's Day.
0: Happy Valentine's Day. I wanna give you a hug. Uh, We're touching. We're touching. We crossed the the couch boundary.
1: Exactly, the couch line.
0: So, April, the name of the podcast is Quirky and/or Queer. Are you quirky?
1: Uh, I think I am very quirky.
0: Yeah?
1: Yeah. I In a lot of different ways, I don't really fit into the typical box or the norm of what people expect. Mm-hmm. So I've always kind of seen myself as a little quirky and out there and yeah, the more people get to know me, I think the more I let that show and, huh. and the more people would think I was quirky.
0: And what about queer? Are you, do you identify as queer?
1: Uh, for a lot of years, I didn't identify as queer just because I felt that that was a label that I hadn't earned Mm -hmm. Um, but in the last couple of years I've become more and more comfortable with uh, identifying as queer Um, I think just becoming more comfortable with myself and the community in general and Mm -hmm. seeing that I do have a place there and even though I haven't spent years uh, fighting the fight and I don't necessarily because I can pass as heteronormative and Mm -hmm. I have had a lot of straight relationships um I haven't had to face some of the same things that other people in the queer community have so I struggled with that for a long time feeling that well that label doesn't belong Mm -hmm. to me but uh yeah I've connected with it more lately and felt that that is okay to call myself queer and and accepted that part of me a little
0: more I just every time I see you now I'm just gonna yell it out there you go you're so queer (laughs) Can you imagine? I, I actually, like,
1: <laughs> in a lot of uh, a lot of communities that I'm in, that would work. So. Yeah,
0: mine too. Actually, yeah. people are probably like a you know, it was like a resounding applause afterwards. Exactly. Like oh, yeah. Pff, <laughs> identities. Um, so I think there's not that I think this, but I just there are labels that we choose for ourselves, and there are labels that other people give us. Yes. Are there any labels that you would like to identify that either have been given to you or that you you've given yourself?
1: Uh, well, the big label for me definitely is uh, a disabled woman. Mm-hmm. So that shapes my life every mm-hmm. day. And that's one that I can't pass as able-bodied anymore. Yeah. So uh, it's there with every interaction I have. Mm-hmm. And that one shapes all of my interactions and mm-hmm. all of my um, day-to-day life. And it makes me be seen, I think, as more of an advocate because I am obviously from that marginalized community. Yeah. Uh, whereas the queer label, if I'm out in the grocery store, people don't necessarily see that or think that. So mm-hmm. I don't have to... I can choose whether I'm going to show that side of myself or not or identify that side of myself. Um, so yeah, being a person with a disability is definitely the big one that's shaped yeah. my identity most over the years.
0: And that's a label that came to you later in life?
1: Uh, it did come to me later in life. I technically have had disabilities my entire life Mm -hmm. but they weren't obvious uh visible disabilities so i was able to pass for many many years but uh when i was 17 i started having uh issues with my back and started Mm -hmm. using forearm crutches then Mm -hmm. so then it became more and more obvious as the years went on uh that i did have a disability
0: can't imagine such a formative time your teens too to have to, to go through i mean whether it's any kind of identity crisis or identity change, you know, like that's just must've been tough.
1: It, it definitely shaped who I was a lot. Um, throughout my teen years, I was still of the belief that it was something temporary that Mm -hmm. wasn't going to be a permanent condition. So for a lot of years, I just kind of thought, oh, well, it's something I have to deal with now, but didn't really connect it to my identity Mm -hmm. and how it was going to form me. Uh, so it was kind of forming me and my thoughts before I even consciously yeah. connected to the idea that it was going to be there and that before I realized it was shaping who I was, it was already affecting Oof. my thoughts. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely took a lot of adjusting to, and it's hard to separate sometimes just the regular changes that I would have gone through anyway mm-hmm. at, at that age from the changes that I had as a disabled person. So sometimes somebody asks me, well, how would that be different if you weren't disabled? And it's hard to know because mm-hmm. everything happened at such a formative time that mm-hmm. I don't know what shaped me in one way or another. Gosh.
0: And I don't want the your identity and that one identity to dominate the whole conversation because I feel like you must have to do that all the time. People often... I'm sure asking asked you. It,
1: it does definitely dominate the conversation, but I'm also used to the fact that it's going to now mm-hmm. and it should in a way.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and I think the disability community needs people to speak up so mm-hmm. much more because for so many years, it's been something that's, uh, don't talk about it and be quiet about it and kind of hide that side of yourself. And, and people with disabilities have kind of been tucked away from the rest of society. Mm-hmm. So now as I'm, Becoming more comfortable in myself, both as a person and as a person with a disability, I'm okay with being the one who has to step up and kind of explain all these things and and answer all the questions and be the one in the forefront that when somebody thinks of, oh, we need somebody with a disability, oh, April, will do it. (laughs) Because I know I can be Mm -hmm. confident enough in myself to speak up and I can be that voice for my community that will amplify the voices of... All the people who aren't able to speak up Mm -hmm. right now.
0: And we're in your apartment on the 10th floor off Roby Street. And I Mm -hmm. think we should get you like a bat signal.
1: That would be pretty
0: cool. So we need someone to like, you know, with a strong voice, you know, compassion, you know, who can speak to disability. We'll just shine it in the sky. Like the wheelchair symbol. There we go. (laughs) We can shine it
1: out my window. (laughs)
0: We start off our interview talking about April's experience of otherness through her disability. However, one thing you might notice while listening is that we never specifically name or identify her condition, which has led to her experience of disability. It wasn't done intentionally, it just never really came up. However, upon reflection, April and I both agreed that it's important to recognize that so often people and systems focus on the root cause or issue relating to disability, placing the deficit or challenge with the individual. However, we should be focusing on how society is built with inherent barriers for folks who live with a disability or identify as being disabled. It isn't April's condition that marginalizes her, it is the fact that we live in an inequitable society built mostly for able bodied folks. Is it it difficult to find apartments?
1: It's very difficult to find apartments imagine. in Halifax. Um, and it's something I've struggled with for years, uh, usually living in places that aren't accessible or mm-hmm. just finding a way to make it work. I've drug my chair upstairs several times. Oh my gosh. And I've crawled a lot. Um, and just made things work. But it's very, very difficult to find apartments Mm -hmm. in Halifax and even more difficult to find affordable apartments Mm -hmm. that are accessible in Halifax. Um, It's nearly impossible now. And most people I know who are wheelchair users have been forced to live outside of the city just because that's the only place they can afford. But then you have the added side of it that Mm -hmm. it's harder to be part of the community because Mm -hmm. you have to travel and A lot of wheelchair users can't afford to do that or don't have the infrastructure to do that.
0: Yeah. I've, um, really, uh, I've learned a lot about disability through school, Mm -hmm. um, from doing studying social work. And one of the terms that has been new to me is temporarily abled, Yes, which I never really considered, but I guess really from being a youth to a senior on average, that's, you know, when you're able bodied and so much of the infrastructure and the stuff that's built around the disability community is really centered on seniors
1: it is for sure um that's the disability community that kind of gets the most attention i think and i think part of that has to do with the standards way our society's set up that Mm -hmm. the uh powerful people get the attention and usually it's the people who have lived their lives fully Mm -hmm. and already are accepted by society and the straight white men that get their voice heard and uh yeah, if you've had that chance to kind of live a life and build your identity and then become disabled, one, you're already used to advocating for yourself more. So you're already going to be able to speak up and be heard a little more easily. But two, you have the power and you have the money and you have the connections. So people are going to listen to you more as opposed to a young person who's never learn to fight for themselves and Mm -hmm. who's been told their whole life that your opinion doesn't matter and you can just be tucked away and Mm -hmm. nobody really needs to listen to you. Yeah. There's a lot more advantages when you can come into it later Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, yeah. And you have a, often a bigger support network to support you Mm -hmm. as well and, and more time to plan for that. So there Mm -hmm. are a lot of advantages that way. Um, but we're all going to become disabled at one point or another yeah. if we're lucky enough to live that long anyway. Yeah. And so I think it's something that everybody has to start thinking about mm-hmm. more is what it's like to be disabled because we're all going to it's get there at one point or another.
0: Yeah. And I wonder if the people listening, I mean, it's mostly my mom. So, <laughs> But um, I wonder if that'll be like a shocking fact for some people because it's something I didn't really consider until the last couple of years. Like that just happens to everyone at some point.
1: I don't think most people think about disability in general unless they have to. So unless there's somebody in their life that's Mm -hmm. disabled or, um, something happens to them and they're either temporarily disabled or they're going to become permanently disabled. Uh, you don't really have to think about it. And it's easier just to believe that that's this far off thing that's never Mm -hmm. going to affect me. But it really does. And yeah. we all have to start having those conversations more.
0: I feel like humans are just sort of like goldfish. Like our, our frame of reference is bordered by yesterday and, and tomorrow. So we're just so optimistic in that way. So we just think like that'll never happen to us.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of that. And I think there's also the conscious factor of people mm. don't want to think about something that scary. And yeah, when you do really delve into the disability world, there are a lot of scary facts, mm-hmm. um, both with just the day-to-day experience of what it's like, but also with trying to understand mm-hmm. the reality of that. Yeah. So it's, it's really scary to accept what could happen. And, um, it's easier just to kind of keep the rose colored glasses on and mm-hmm. say, well, that's never going to happen to me.
0: This is never going to happen to me. This is a thought I had a lot growing up. Um, I grew up mostly able-bodied, and I've had experiences of otherness and I've often felt displaced, but I never identified as having a disability or with the fact that one day I will be disabled. As I've gotten older, I've definitely experienced more challenges with my health and my abilities within community, and now I'm beginning to recognize how the world is built for those who need the least amount of support, purely for the purposes of profit. If we structured our communities with compassion and understanding for the fact we will all one day live with a disability, we would likely make more accessible and inclusive communities. However, as April said, most people just believe it is never going to happen to me. April lives an incredible life and she does so much important and wonderful work within the community. Just this week, she got the official announcement that she will be participating in Spinning with the Stars.
1: Uh, So Spinning with the Stars is organized by the Mental Health Foundation. Uh, So it's a fundraiser for them, as well as um, a few people from Studio NS. So uh, basically it's dancing with the stars, but think circus or pole dancing. Mm-hmm. So
0: That's they, all I think about is circus yeah, and pole exactly. dancing. Exactly. So. That's
1: just everyday life. Just <laughs> yeah, people yeah. dancing down the street. I wish. <laughs> it should be yeah. more like that. Um, so yeah, I was chosen as one of the stars this year. So cool. they get a bunch of Hallie famous people together and pair them with a real established circus performer uh-huh. and you get to practice and learn a routine and then we all compete on the night and the audience votes for the winner.
0: Oh my gosh. So, yeah. You were definitely Hallie famous. <laughs> I knew you before I knew you.
1: But it's really strange though, because in your own experience, like, you get used to, mm-hmm. well, I just get out of bed every day and get dressed and like yeah. go do my boring job or like, yeah. well, sorry, my, bo- my job's not boring, but, <laughs> but to me, like when you know the reality of yeah. like what you actually have to do on a day to day, like it doesn't feel like it's anything mm. special. And you see all these other people that like the image they're portraying looks so big and important yeah. that you can't connect yourself to that level in any way. So I was really convinced that like, I, somebody had approached me and asked me if I would do it, but I was really convinced that when they brought up my name, they'd be like, oh no, she's not big enough to be a star. Like, <laughs> geez, we're not going to ask her. So when I got the actual invite, it was real that, yeah. okay, yeah, I am doing this and nobody's going to stop me.
0: Well, you definitely need a bat light then, like an official light, light in this guy. i mean we're going to, if anyone's listening it has the power to make that happen, <laughs> Mom, can you can, can you make that happen? Um That's wild. Yeah. When is it?
1: Uh it's May
0: 31st uh-huh. at the casino. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. Are you gonna be strung like up from the ceiling?
1: I am. I've actually just started training, so okay. we're doing mostly trapees and silks oh, okay. with a little bit of partner acro. Okay. So yeah, I was practicing trapeze on Monday and mm. got to kind of get my first few tricks down, so mm. it was really cool cool and really exciting.
0: Are you doing that with Vanessa? Yes. Vanessa Furlong. Vanessa Furlong is my partner.
1: So yeah, she's amazing. She's, she's so great. Uh, I got to meet her through the arts community a little bit, but Mm we, it was kind of like you and I, we, we were connected and we talked on Facebook and we saw each other at different events, but we didn't really know each other past that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. You better believe
0: after May 31st, I'm going to tell everyone that we're friends. There you go. I I know her. (laughs) Yeah. She won spinning with the stars.
1: Hopefully we'll see. I, it's just—it's so much fun to participate. I'm—I'm I'm so excited that That's I get so to exciting. do
0: it. So yeah. May thirty-first. I have to make sure I'm in town for that.
1: There you go. It's um, Friday night. So.
0: Will you get to wear something really fun and fabulous?
1: I will, although I don't know what yet. Uh-huh. So, yeah, we're still figuring all that, those shiny details fabrics. out. But, yeah. Shiny four-way exactly. stretch. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Talk to a drag queen. They'll hook there you up. There you go.
1: Exactly. <laughs> That's always a good rule of thumb. Just talk to a drag queen.
0: <laughs> when I uh, bartended Pride for a few years, it was just a, was a great way, especially when I wasn't drinking, mm-hmm. to, like, just meet people, be a part of the event, but also have a task that was very much, like, just timely, you know? Yeah. Uh, but every year when I bartended, I always show up with makeup and shiny fabric. Mm-hmm. and I always just give them away so like if you ever <laughs> see someone with a shiny bandana it's probably from me yeah. uh, but every year I would go to Fabricville to buy it and the first year I went to Fabricville the one on Bears Road there um I walked in and I was like yeah I need shiny stretchy <laughs> fabric and the lady was like yeah that's in the gymnastics and uh and uh, figure skating section and I was like of course it is yeah so it turns <laughs> out that's where drag queens often shop the, Yeah. The figure skating and gymnastics mm-hmm. section. It's like me and a bunch of like nine year old girls like pulling like gold lamé and being like, "Yeah, this should do."
1: <laughs> yeah. Makes sense, exactly.
0: <laughs> and I love it. I wouldn't want it any other way. Yeah. Um, no,
1: I learned all my best makeup tricks from drag queens. Yeah. So yeah, we. Uh, I've done a few shows in bars in downtown Halifax, and often the drag queens will go on after us, so yeah. we'd always share the green room, which is usually a washroom. Yeah. Um, and. Yeah, they'd give me all the makeup tips for mm-hmm. theater, so it was it's it's awesome.
0: Um not to swing back to disability, but one <laughs> thing that I've been really encouraged by is I've seen that the Queens of Glamazon are yes. specifically making the choice to go to Bus Stop Theater, one which is great because Bus Stops a cooperative and it's mm-hmm. just wonderful that that's being supported. But two, it's an accessible space.
1: Yeah, it's so amazing that they're doing that and it's something that I've been talking to a few of the Queens and a few yeah. of the organizers about for years now because I used to go to all the shows and love them so much. But for the last four or five years, I haven't been able to get in to Men's and Molly's, um, which is really sucks because it means I don't get to be a part of that community anymore. So uh, I talked to them about it a bit, as I know some other wheelchair users had. And I know they've been thinking about it for a long Mm -hmm. time. So I kind of got the word a few months ago that it was coming down the pipeline and that it was going to happen. Um so yeah we're really excited that wow. they're making the move and that they chose to make that move consciously yeah. they weren't forced to but they just realized that we're a marginalized community yeah. and we know what that feels like and we don't want to do it to somebody else mm-hmm. so we want to include everybody and we're going to go out of our way to make yeah. sure that happens um so yeah it's really really exciting mm-hmm. and uh, March 16th I've already got a group of chair users together so we're gonna pack nice. the front row yes. and really support them and I think it's gonna be a really fun time and Gosh. as soon as I mentioned it everybody in in the wheelie community was like yes we have to go so yeah everybody's really really excited about it
0: do you know any in, in the wheelie community I've never heard that term before I hope it's okay <laughs> for me to oh yes me. go for it do you know anyone in the wheelie community who who does drag or is interested in drag
1: I don't know anybody who does drag I do know some people who would definitely be interested in it, but just the opportunity hasn't come up yet. So maybe...
0: Would you do it?
1: I would definitely do it. I'd love to do it. Yeah. Would
0: you do more of like a hyper, more like... um, them clean, or would you do more of like a masculine?
1: I'd be open to going either way. We'll do one yeah. each side. There you go, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a way, I kind of feel like for Fringe, that's what I do yeah. every year because in my day-to-day life, I I don't wear makeup. Mm-hmm. I'm very dressed down. It's yeah, usually jeans and whatever's comfortable in the chair. She's
0: actually just wearing a house coat right now. There it's you very go, awkward. exactly. No, Took just... get out of my pajamas <laughs> <Yeah>. today. a <laughs> nice fringe on it, but God, it's, I just wasn't. <laughs> all expected. of my
1: clothes do. They yeah. all.
0: no she's wearing a very tasteful sweater and jeans i just would like to point that out i don't want to make her feel awkward i'm wearing my underwear
1: (laughs) it takes a lot more than that to make me feel awkward so
0: (laughs) it literally takes nothing to make me feel awkward yeah how's it going god
1: (laughs) she's looking at me (laughs) oh
0: so true truth hurts um so yeah Yeah, drag
1: yeah so when i have fringe that's my time to dress up and i go all out and you'll usually see me in sequins and dresses and hats and all kinds of fancy things Uh and yeah that's when i do my makeup and and have fun and it's kind of like me playing a character and a an alter ego of Ah. myself so
0: is march 16th too soon for you to do drag
1: um, maybe, no, it wouldn't be. I'd do it anytime, honestly. If, yeah, if the opportunity arrives, I'd love to do it anytime. And be like, <laughs> make
0: April a drag queen. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. Wow, we can add that to your list of labels and identities. There
1: you go, exactly.
0: So we've already talked about disability community and like that identity, which has been given to you, but you've also taken on. Are there any other identities that you feel like that you've taken on?
1: Uh, there are a lot of different identities over the years. Um, starting out, uh, very young as a child. I was raised in an extremely strict religious background. Really? Um, now looking back, I, I identify it as a cult really, but at the time, Interesting. my family and I were completely brainwashed and didn't recognize wow. that at all. Um. So that was a huge part of my identity growing up is everything in my life was seen through the lens of religion mm-hmm. and how I was supposed to behave because of that. Um. To the point that as a teenager, I was being, prepared to be given as a bride to the next pastor at the church, basically. What? So yeah, it, it got pretty wow. scary and it that was my whole life. Um, so I've kind of moved away from that and gone 360. Well, 180 degrees in the other direction.
0: Yeah, um, I just have to say, if you started a cult, I joined. <laughs> like, you are charismatic enough. <laughs> the cult of fringe. Oh, when I made the fringe joke earlier, I didn't even connect it to fringe. There it wasn't like the festival, anyway. <laughs> oh gosh, most of your things do have fringe. I get yeah, it now. Yeah. I'm like three minutes late, folks. <laughs> to everything. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. So there are a lot of different identities that I've kind of picked up. That have mm. yeah that my life has been viewed through that lens at different points in my life. Mm-hmm. And yeah I, yeah, I think no matter what I'm doing, I connect really strongly to that identity and I'm really passionate about what mm-hmm. I'm doing. So it, it affects my whole life at that point. And I really take it on as like I was saying earlier, fringe is my child. That's my yeah. baby. I, I'm not going to have kids myself. So that's my legacy that I'm leaving. And, uh, I put everything in it as a, Parent would raising a child, and yeah. and I want to leave them better than they were when I started.
0: Yeah, that's um, so admirable. Can you explain what your role is with Fringe?
1: Uh, I'm the chair of the Halifax Fringe Festival, mm-hmm. so this will be my yeah sixteenth year with them. 16th wow, year. <laughs> so you started when that. you were four. <laughs> pretty much. (laughs) Uh, yeah, no, in 2003, when I moved up to the city, I started going to fringe and started volunteering that year and haven't, uh, missed a full year since, but Mm. I, I did miss one festival when I was away in Toronto, which Mm. was the hardest thing ever to know that it was going on without (laughs) me. Um, but yeah, it, it's, Become a huge part of my identity. Just working my way up from a volunteer selling tickets mm-hmm. and greeting people at the door to being the chair of the festival and really being recognized for that mm-hmm. and, and having it tattooed on my skin. Even I yeah. love it so much.
0: And you volunteer quite a bit because I see you everywhere.
1: I do volunteer a lot for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that's really important to me. It was something that was taught to me by my parents from a very very young age mm-hmm. that you give back to your community and. Uh, you have privilege, so you have to take that seriously and have to give back and, and make somebody else's life better. Mm -hmm. So I volunteer in a lot of different ways, um, yeah, often people ask me what my job is and I'll tell them about my paying job and then my five other volunteer jobs Here, that yeah. I have. And Yeah, yeah I, I see them as other jobs because it's part of my identity and it's that important to me and I want to put in the
0: hours for it. It's unpaid labor, Yeah. but it's mm-hmm. it's important in the society we live in. And this isn't news to you, obviously. I think I'm just saying it for context, but <laughs> it's that like our society runs and it only rewards certain set of competencies for capitalism. Yes. And it's. I think it's unfortunate that volunteers have to exist at all. I'm glad that mm-hmm. they do because we yeah. should be giving back to the community in ways that aren't rewarded just in financial capital because mm-hmm. we get so much reward in other ways and not everything has to be transactional, but it, it is important to have volunteers. But I, I would love to live in a world that... Every bit of labor and work and someone's passion was not viewed in in terms of just financial reward, Mm -hmm. you know, like we all do so much work every single day. The hardest working people I've ever met are single mothers who are at home, Mm -hmm. you know, and that labor is certainly not. No, certainly not recognized. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: I was actually having that conversation with a friend last night uh, and it's something I struggled with a lot Mm -hmm. through my years because I spent 15 years of my life not able to work in a traditional paying job because of my health. Um, and I was talking to another wheelchair user and he was saying, well, yeah, it's awkward when people ask me what I do, because Mm -hmm. what do I say? I don't have anything to contribute.
0: Yeah. And
1: I started listing off like, well, yeah, you're a father, you're this, you're that, you do all these other things. And all of those should be so big and should be recognized, but It's very hard, especially in the disability community, when Mm -hmm. there's so little chance to get paid work, that that's the way society recognizes us as having meaning and and being contributing members of society and being real adults, that it's hard to feel confident in your identity when you can't do what other people do and you're not rewarded in that way. So it, it makes you feel like less of a person for sure.
0: Yeah. And so much of the, the conversation and discourse around disability is focused on deficit. Yes. You know, exactly. Like, well, we got to build a ramp. We have to do this. It's going to mm-hmm. cost money. This is extra because of yeah. it's a deficit. And I'm like, well, the society should be structured in a way where that's just the first thought anyway, because it makes everyone's lives easier.
1: Exactly. It's so yeah. annoying. And everybody uses those things and can mm-hmm. find advantage in those, uh, those accommodations, yeah. um, whether it's a ramp or whether it's closed
0: captioning or mm-hmm. any of those things are useful to the community in general. So, yeah. Well, big mad props to the Queens of the Glamazons and like for sure. other people for taking a leadership in, in areas in that way, because it is very important.
1: It is. It's yeah. very, very important. And people are being more aware of it for mm-hmm. sure in general. Um, but there's always still room for improvements and, yeah. Yeah.
0: We are worth so much more than our productive potential. As April said, paid work is often how society recognizes our meaning. We meet people at events or social gatherings and often the first question we ask is, what do you do? Well, I have been trying more and more to ask questions related to what keeps people occupied, what inspires them, what are they passionate about. People build community and contribute to society in so many ways without the benefit of financial reward. April has a job but more than that she has a purpose. She is in our community doing powerful and impactful work which benefits not just the disability community but everyone else too. April is involved in the arts, she's involved in advocacy, and she will be spinning with the stars. April is a community builder and I see her as one of the leaders of Halifax. I'd follow her just about anywhere. This part of our conversation really resonated with me so much of my own life has been defined by me trying to find my own fit and live a full life we are more than just our work we are more than what pays the bills i have been incredibly privileged in my life but also i have been challenged with my own health physical and mental and my view of what i am capable of and what i think i can contribute to society This podcast and my creative pursuits, such as photography, are part of me trying to reconcile what I can do and what I can give. Sometimes I think for those who don't have kids or a big focusing event which defines their lives, it can be a bit more challenging to figure out what their purpose is. Oddly enough, as my health issues have increased and I have found more challenges in my life, I've also found more purpose. Do you, looking back in your life and in like your younger years, do you have a distinct moment that you remember like a first thoughts of otherness?
1: I think I was always a little aware that I was different, but rather than have it bother me, I always almost took pride in those differences really? from a really young wow. age. Um, and I don't really understand yet why that is, but I- Because you're a
0: gift to this world, <laughs> April. That's why. <laughs> Sorry, I keep interrupting you, but I just get too excited about your comments.
1: <laughs> Uh, (laughs) well thank you totally
0: derailed your thought (laughs) you did that's okay (laughs) apologies
1: (laughs) no Um, yeah everything from being Baptist in Mm -hmm. a and very strict Baptist in a very strict Catholic community where Mm. my sisters and I were the only ones who were not Catholic wow um, and very set apart because of that and and had that pointed out on a very regular basis to being the only french uh the only English children in a French school as well oh wow um, yeah. because my parents were well, one was French, one was English, and I don't know what you'd call that even. its I was going to say mixed race, but it's not mixed race. We need to have a term for that, I guess. Or yeah. hopefully we don't need to have a term for that because it shouldn't matter. But growing up in the community, I did. It really did matter. matters there, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was always very aware that I was different. And even from the point of view of although I didn't have a visible disability, I did have spina bifida and I did have Mm -hmm. a strawberry birthmark and I did, uh, walk with a really bad limp and there were little things like that. And although I was still a very popular kid and very welcomed, it was still always pointed out. And I was always reminded of the fact Mm -hmm. that, well, you're not like us. Although that almost made me feel special, I think. So I didn't want to be like everybody else. And I really took pride in that and it never really bothered me i can't really think of any examples growing up where it bothered me
0: That's amazing uh,
1: to be different so
0: mm-hmm. yeah I uh, I grew up with a linear scleroderma on my face, and mm-hmm. of course I was a chubby kid and all those other things, and was queer, not knowing. But the scars on my face—I remember kids used to call me Scarface. Yeah. And I remember a very young age thinking like, "Oh, I just wish I could be different." And now mm. it's like, "Oh God, I'm just so lucky to be given the perspective I've been given, yeah. based on my differences, and I still have so much privilege. So very lucky in so many ways. But I also just feel lucky that I did grow up different. Yeah. You know, exactly. It took me 34 years to even get close to yeah. being able to say that, but. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: in a way it brings so many awesome things into your life mm -hmm. as well. And I don't think I'd have the eight net community that I do and the support network I do. And my wheelie family, as I call them and, Mm -hmm. and all these different networks and my fringe family, Mm -hmm. um, which I came to because it's such an amazing, welcoming place that embraces the fact that you're a weirdo, you're different, you're not like the normal society. So I love that. Mm -hmm. And I love that they chose me to be the leader of that. And that makes me feel pretty awesome. So it's brought so many bonuses Mm -hmm. into my life that now as a 33 year old, I'm really proud of and Mm -hmm. and I can recognize. Um, At the time as a kid, I didn't really recognize that. I was just crowd to stand out from the crowd i think
0: Mm -hmm. also i just want to point out that the wheelie family sounds like a really heartwarming mid-90s like sitcom (laughs) seventh heaven style you know what i mean like
1: i so have to suggest that like we've got to do a video of like (laughs) make up the sitcom of the wheelie family with all the helly famous wheelie people
0: (laughs) so where did you grow up
1: I grew up in Yarmouth County. Okay. Uh, technically, Lower Ilbrook, which is a tiny, Here. tiny, tiny little community that nobody's ever heard of. Yeah. Uh, but it's about 20 minutes south of Yarmouth itself.
0: There's something different. I grew up in the Naples Valley, and that's pretty country, but I was mm-hmm. close to a military base. My parents were in the military. So that mm-hmm. comes with its own set of privileges for community and access to resources. Yeah. But there's something different about it. As soon as you get past Digby or as soon as you get past, like, Bridgewater, that mm-hmm. southern loop, it's just, it's, a, it's just so far away in terms of kilometers and ideologies to like Halifax Central.
1: It definitely is very different. And I think the tradition of kind of all of the little communities each having their own little fishing village yeah. and their own little dialect and their own little culture and mm-hmm. everything is so um, central to that neighborhood yeah. that you grow up thinking that it's us against them all mm-hmm. the time. And that culture is really fostered there. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways it keeps, um, keeps people from moving forward and mm-hmm. looking at other opportunities and being more open-minded. Uh, not to say that it's all bad. I'm so happy that I grew up where I did and there were so many great bonuses of uh, growing up there. But it keeps people's uh, ideologies and thoughts a little further behind than it would in other areas. Um, And that's something that I've seen improving a lot over Mm -hmm. the years, but it still scares me a little bit every time I go home and hear some of the comments that, yeah, we're still that far behind.
0: It kind of reminds me of Outport, Newfoundland and some of the smaller communities, very similar in a way. Mm -hmm. But it's just, it must be hard going up in that area and that far away from the city when all of our media, a lot of our resources, a huge chunk of the population all resides in the HRM. And that's just so much of our... Of our framework or I guess our frame of reference I should say for this province is centered on HRM. So
1: it, it definitely is. Um, yeah, this this area, this region, Halifax, yeah. uh, dominates everything and mm-hmm. that's what we see as Nova Scotian
0: culture, but there is so much more out there. Yeah. And aside from the ferry to the main, mm-hmm. it's really there's Yarmouth is sort of like an endpoint. You yeah, know?
1: you don't go there unless mm. you're going to visit somebody which there's not that, that that many people there anymore or if you're passing through to head mm. to Maine. Yeah.
0: So before we had met up for today, we had talked a little bit about what we might discuss. I'm just watching the time. Yeah. Um, you had mentioned it's Valentine's Day, you know, mm-hmm. the, February 14th. There's so much pressure and, I guess, media coverage around heteronormative love mm-hmm. on this particular day and just in general. Mm-hmm. Um what is your experience of otherness and how has that shaped your romantic life?
1: Um, I think because I was diagnosed with my disability right at the time where I was kind of trying to figure out my own, Mm -hmm. uh, romantic identity, sexual identity, all of those things, it really, the two became very strongly intertwined. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think That gave me a freedom to question both at the same time Mm -hmm. and really question a lot of my identities at that point and really figure out what I wanted and who I was. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when I got really sick and just realized that, okay, I'm not guaranteed tomorrow, I have to start living my life the way I want to, I started questioning, well, do I want this traditional lifestyle that I was told I had to have and um, do I want to get married right out of high school and to a man and Mm -hmm. have 2.3 children or whatever it is and, and live those traditions. And I realized, no, I've been told that that's what I want my whole life, but Mm -hmm. it's not really what's for me. So I really started thinking strongly about what it was I wanted. And the closest thing I could settle on was I want love in my life and I want to show love to the people that I care about. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to fit a traditional romantic mold. Um, but I want the people in my life to know that I care about them. Uh, so I kind of settled for me on calling that Mm Polly. Um, but I don't connect super closely to that label. It's just the easiest label I've found for it at Mm -hmm. this point. Um, all that means to me is that I'm open to having whatever relationships come into my life, whether they're friendships or romantic or, um, life, traditional life partners where we're living together, whatever that may look like, I'm just going to let that relationship develop naturally Mm. and let the people know in my life that I really care about them and not be afraid to say that. Yeah. And
0: such a radical act. I know. Just sharing your love.
1: Exactly. But it really seems to be, um, yeah, people seem shocked by it for mm-hmm. some reason. And especially I think when it's coming from somebody with a disability that they're not expecting to mm. have romantic feelings or have sexual feelings. And the fact that I'm okay showing that with multiple people really can throw some people off and scare yeah. them. And it's not something that they understand very well. Mm-hmm. But, uh, for me, I, it's just what works best. And, and, it's brought a lot of love into my life Mm -hmm. and it's allowed me to kind of stop labeling what a relationship has to be. And I fall in love with who I fall in love with, uh, regardless of gender or ability or Mm -hmm. any of that. And I get to have much deeper friendships as well, because we get to make it whatever we want it to be and, Mm -hmm. and set the parameters we want around it. And it doesn't have to, fit into a box that everybody else wants it to. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really worked well for me and made me much happier in my life. But it was interesting to see kind of the two identities evolve together Mm -hmm. of finding out what I want and my disability helped with that. I think.
0: You're just greedy for otherness.
1: There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's
0: such an <laughs> insensitive thing to say. I take that back. <laughs> oh,
1: I am so greedy for otherness. I'll
0: take it. Yeah. yeah. So, me too, mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah. Um, well, I think a lot of, especially, I think a lot about inclusion and accessibility and otherness, framed specifically around cisgender, white, male, gays. Mm-hmm. So, like to me, because that's who I am and the world that I am often in, I just think about like how much privilege and power that particular subgroup of, of queer people have been afforded over the last 20 years and how there's obviously loads of struggles and people still have trauma and challenges but on the whole I think it's pretty safe to say that a lot of the queer experiences are centered on white cisgender males you know and so much of our accessibility inclusion is built around if capitalism can make it work for you then we'll provide more resources for it. I assume it's probably the same for like sex and disability, you know?
1: Yeah. I think it's the same for any group. And I think it's just something that we need to be more aware of when we are a part of those privileged groups to use our voice and the power we do have, Mm -hmm. even though we are still definitely in a marginalized community, we have more power than a lot of others. So we have to use that power Uh, to amplify those voices and to have them be heard and in every community that i'm in i can kind of see that okay yes i am uh in a marginalized community but i'm still so much further ahead than these people so i need to share their story too and i think that's something that we always need to be looking to do
0: And I feel like it's not like a race to the bottom, as people sometimes say. It's just sort no. of respecting the complexities and nuances of just how hard it is to live in life.
1: Exactly. I
0: think yeah. the more power and financial capital you have, the more accountability we have to apply to individuals. For sure. But yeah, yeah I definitely agree. I think it's, it's complex when we have to... Hope that people are doing their best and yeah, find the nuance within for sure. it. God, I sound um, like a bumper sticker—a <laughs> really long bumper sticker. There you go. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if you could fit all that on a it's, bumper it's, sticker. It's like, for—it's—it's it's actually a side of a car sticker. Okay. Yes, bus, yeah. Bus limo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There
1: you go. <laughs> the accessible van. There
0: you go. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. Just yeah. I've—I've uh, I've been following a friend of mine on Facebook, we're probably mutual friends, so I won't say on here who it is, but um, the struggles with the Halifax Transit in terms oh. of the accessible bus, like. It's, it's just wild. It's unreal.
1: I have. I'm actually um, a registered Assessibus user, mm-hmm. but I gave up trying about a decade ago. Oh my because gosh! Because you, at least at that time, it's getting better now, but it's very marginally better. Yeah. You had to call at least seven days in advance. Still do. They yeah. would call you the day before to tell you if you got your ride mm-hmm. or not. Which how can you plan anything that mm-hmm. way? And there are just so many rules and so many limitations. And after having called for about six months and being denied every single time and not getting on the bus once, I was actually told by an operator, well, this system is not for you. We're doing this for seniors and you're a wheelchair user and you're young, so you should find another way to get around. And not that that is the general feeling of Metro Transit or... Or the city of Halifax at all. I don't think it is. I think that was this individual. But that happens every day in our system. And there should not be those extra limitations. And it's really scary to the point that there are... I can't can't remember for sure. It's 13 to 15 accessible cabs in HRM right now. That choose their own hours. Uh So... If you're out and nobody's on the road, you have no way to Mm -hmm. get home. And there's an example of a friend of mine who had to go to the emergency room, sat at the emergency room all day, uh, was treated, discharged, and the nurse realized, oh, well, how are you getting home? Mm -hmm. And they started calling. There was no accessible cabs on the road So he ended up wheeling from the emergency room here on Roby Street to Joseph Howe Drive at 4 a.m. Oh, my gosh. Alone with me on the phone in case anything happened to him. Oh, my gosh. That's not a safe alternative. And there are so many stories like that that are happening. And those are just the big ones. I mean, it happens every day just when somebody is trying to get groceries or trying to get to a doctor's appointment. Not to mention just trying to have a social life and mm-hmm. get out with friends. And there needs to be a better system out there for sure.
0: I love reading um, Nova Scotia Advocate.
1: Yes, they're amazing. For sort of
0: stories and yeah. for perspectives. They And I just share them whenever I can. Yeah. What's the one fellow's name, Kendall?
1: Yes. Yeah, it's just, Kendall
0: Worth, I believe. Worth, yeah. yeah. I, I, sometimes I don't even read his articles. I just share them because it's yeah. just so important. <laughs> Everything he says is just yeah. so valuable.
1: Yeah. And um, The Advocate is so amazing for giving a voice to so many people yeah. who
0: really need it. Do you write it all for that? Have I heard?
1: I haven't yet. No. no, but I have so many friends who have, and yeah, <laughs> you,
0: you do so much already. <laughs> I write for the Dartmouth Echo. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, and it just sort of happened because I worked in Dartmouth North, and I mm-hmm. just they need the organization I worked for, Dartmouth Learning Network, who I love. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dartmouth Echo just needed content. So I was yes. like, "All oh, right." on behalf of the Dartmouth Learning mm-hmm. Network. And then when I left that job, they would be like, well, do you have anything you want to put in this week? And I'd be like, oh, sure. And all of a sudden, now I'm just one of the staff writers. <laughs> I'm like, That's oh, awesome. dear, how did that happen? Just fall into it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. it's so important because, again, like the Nova Scotia advocate, mm-hmm. it's just we need more voices being amplified from specific communities.
1: Exactly. Not yeah. just
0: corporate media.
1: hmm
0: April is working to provide more opportunities for herself and for others from many different communities. She said, I am not guaranteed tomorrow, I have to start living my life the way I want to. I believe this is a central concept that anyone can benefit from, but it is so often said in privileged circles without an acknowledgement that for many, it's not as simple as just choosing to live your life the way you want to. There are too many barriers existing in society. However, there are changes happening and improvements being made. As of this recording, it has been announced that there will now be accessible car sharing services in the HRM. This is amazing, but also, we need to be mindful of services being privatized. We need stronger services being provided by municipal, provincial, and federal systems. Otherwise, our services for those with the most needs will prioritize profit over accessibility and inclusion. They can happen together, but it is important that profits do not come first. This is why we need leadership in private and public spaces, which prioritizes inclusion and accessibility for everyone. Much of the conversation around accessibility and inclusion is based on people having access to private and public services. However, what about companionship and sex? As April said, I want love in my life and I want to show love to the people I care about and it doesn't have to fit into a traditional romantic mold. Next in this podcast, we dive into the area of disability and sex.
1: Because I became disabled at a time where I was really just starting to think about my sexual identity, Mm -hmm. I really started questioning everything, and that led me to exploring sexuality in general. And I really found that there is no information on sexuality and disability, sex and disability, and especially women with mm-hmm. disability having sex.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: the first thing that happens when you end up in a rehab center with a spinal cord injury is you get a huge book on <laughs> all the things you need to know. And a lot of it is very medical. Um, I didn't end up in a rehab center because my uh, progression was gradual, But I have looked at this booklet from other friends, and there are probably about 20 pages for men um, Mm -hmm. with disability, mostly about function and how you can still maintain an erection, all those kind of things. Very, very clinical. Um, And then there's one page for women and sexuality, and that is how to avoid a UTI when having (sighs) sex. So <laughs> cool. yeah, you have yeah. to do a lot of your own exploration i found. And, um, yeah, that led me to kind of doing my own research and really mm-hmm. trying to figure out my own body because yeah. so, so many systems in my body were breaking down and I felt a real loss of control over my body at the time. So at a time when i was supposed to be feeling really confident and exploring mm-hmm. it was feeling is a fear around my body and i don't know how it's going to respond and it's not going to respond normally and it doesn't look normal mm-hmm. and i became really really self-conscious and it led me to kind of hide from sex for a long time Um, I was lucky enough in my early twenties to meet a partner that was really, really open, also disabled. And we just decided that, yeah, we don't want to date. We don't make very good partners in that sense, but let's explore together because we can trust each other and have fun. And what a freedom to have. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, really amazing. And it opened up a lot of doors and we started exploring, okay, how do we avoid spasms when having sex? Because... It can get pretty dangerous. I've actually had my nose broken by a partner whose leg spasmed. Really? <laughs> so, wow. yeah, it, it's things you don't think about and the medical community would never think about. So I can't go to a doctor or nurse and ask these things. So we really have to find a way to mm-hmm. come together as a community and talk about these things and be open and share. Yeah. Um, but it really does not happen very often in the disability world mm-hmm. that we're able to have these open conversations. Um.
0: Well, it's like, how often do you see a disabled nurse or doctor?
1: Well, you don't very often. Yeah. And the doctors and nurses don't live in our world, so they can't understand what it's like. And they don't know the questions to Mm -hmm. ask and and don't know how to find the answers either because it's not something they've lived. Mm -hmm. So I don't blame them for not being able to help, but we need to start going within our community and saying it's okay to have these conversations and having venues where we can have these conversations because disability is so isolating that unless you're really going out there and looking for it, you don't get to meet other disabled people. And then how awkward is it to just go walk up to a stranger and be like, (laughs) or reel up to a stranger and be like, yeah, so how's your sex life? How do (laughs) you do it? So, yeah, Yeah. we need to have venues where it's okay to talk about these things and to have conversations. And one thing that was amazing for me and my other disabled partner is we looked into uh, nerve reprogramming. So finding ways where we could reprogram the neural pathways so that parts of our body we still could feel Mm -hmm. are triggered to experience pleasure in the same way that parts of our body that traditionally would, that we can't feel anymore would. So we were able to find orgasm in Mm -hmm. non-traditional parts of our anatomy, which Mm -hmm. is really cool. Um, but that takes a lot of work and there's not a lot written about it out there. So it's kind of just taking the time to explore and, and feeling comfortable enough with somebody to explore.
0: When you first, I guess, like I think it's around 17, you said when Mm -hmm. things started to change significantly for you, um, you're on the same page as me. Like, You would have had the internet, but there wouldn't have been as many resources on the internet at that time.
1: There were very few resources on the internet at that time. And being, (laughs) excuse me, and being from a very rural community, uh, you didn't have a lot of internet access. So it was dial-up for one. And the shared computer Mm -hmm. in my parents' living room. (laughs) Don't have a lot of chance to (laughs) do searches that I might like to there. So, yeah, Yeah. exactly. So, I didn't get any chance to explore really Mm -hmm. until my mid 20s when I was out on my own and really had the confidence for one to start looking because it does take a lot of time to kind of build up that Mm -hmm. the
0: confidence to even ask the questions and try to find the answers. And so much around bodies with disability communities that bodies Mm -hmm. change. Exactly. And and the narrative of bodies changing is really dominated by like able-bodied aging. Mm -hmm. So I can only imagine like figuring out what works for you in a sexual context. And if that changes, you know, it could change tomorrow.
1: Exactly. It could change during the act, it often changes, um, where I can feel on my body will Mm -hmm. change from one minute to the next. So a partner could be stroking my arm and then I can't feel that anymore. Mm Uh, so yeah. But the good thing about that is that you have to have a really strong and high level of communication Mm -hmm. with your partner. So I found that, uh, people with disabilities, are really great lovers because they're willing to communicate all the way through mm-hmm. and they know how to communicate properly what they need and what their body does. Yeah. And, and it makes for a really open, honest interaction.
0: I feel for people listening to this, like that'll be the first time they hear that, that people in the disabled community are living with a disability are really mm. great lovers. Yeah. Like and what a powerful statement. It
1: definitely will be for most people. And yeah. most people in the able bodied world don't, really think that the people with disabilities want to have sex for mm-hmm. one or are having sex um i've had doctors who have told me that well you don't need to know that because you're not going to have sex and
0: where did you hide their bodies <laughs> oh my gosh I'll never say <laughs> <laughs> oh god yeah, bedside but manner fail
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But even with Within the medical community, there's a lot of people that just don't believe it's possible or Mm. don't want it to be possible. Yeah. Yeah. And not only from actual sex point of view, but I've been offered sterilization five times in my life. At 33 because I'm disabled. It's just not understood in the medical community that... People with disabilities are still sexual beings and still may want that. Yeah,
0: Yeah. absolutely. It's such Mm -hmm. a central part of the human experience. Mm -hmm. No matter what condition your body is and what challenges you face, it's like sex is just a part of who we are. And there's so much shame and stigma central to it. Oh, so much.
1: And just people with disabled bodies often have a lot of dysmorphia around that too and have a lot of fear and shame over showing their bodies. For years I struggled with my scar and letting anybody Mm -hmm. see it Um, and I had really blown it out of proportion in my mind that built it up to be this big thing. So before I even got to the point Mm -hmm. of being intimate with somebody there was this big mountain in my mind of oh they're going to see my scar and it's going to be this horrible horrible thing. So We need to be able to talk about it and open up about it and feel like, yeah, the body's different, but Mm -hmm. it can still experience pleasure and you just have to find ways to be comfortable with your partner and talk Mm -hmm. it through.
0: I think like when you watch TV shows or media, it's like people always having sex with lights off, you know, like are under the covers Mm -hmm. and under the sheets. It's just like this idea of reinforcing that, you know. Oh, be proud of your body up until a point, you know, yeah. and then all of a sudden it's lights off, put on the sheets.
1: Exactly. Gosh. Yeah. And I mean, you can imagine if it's somebody with atrophied legs on top mm-hmm. of that or major scars or, um, body parts missing, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be a lot harder to reveal that to a partner.
0: Yeah. It's either exclusion or it's like fetish. Exactly.
1: And there's a lot of fetish. fetish. (laughs) Neither
0: of us can say that word.
1: Fetishization. Why can't I still say it? (laughs)
0: Fetishization. I say it with such a list.
1: (laughs) Once we've started, (laughs) we can't say it properly now. (laughs)
0: There's probably a fetish for that. There you go. Exactly. Fetishization of the word fetish. (laughs) We live in a complex world. Yeah. Um, No, there's
1: there's a lot of uh, people that are searching for that out there. And yeah. And. Online dating can be a dangerous place oh for somebody gosh. with a disability because automatically it's going to go there first.
0: Yeah. Do you date do so, online?
1: Uh, I have in the past. Yeah. yeah and it, it's it been pretty scary, some of the stuff that comes out of it. It's uh, a
0: weird yeah. world.
1: Yeah, it is. It's a world, weird world for anybody. but yeah. yeah, when you have a visible disability even more so.
0: hmm And it's just... So much of our communication patterns have been verbal mm-hmm. for so long, for yeah. thousands of years, and all of a sudden we've completely disrupted how we communicate. It's a huge shift. You know, in 20, 30 years, and it's just, it's gonna be take another thousand years before I think we can even get it right exactly. collectively.
1: Yeah. Um, and another thing with sex and disability that I don't think the able bodied world thinks about, but there's so much isolation in mm-hmm. the disability world that often somebody with a disability will not experience touch for months on wow. end other than in a medical perspective. Clinical, yeah. It's very clinical. Um, so there needs to be more options of just being close to somebody mm-hmm. and feeling that connection because that does so much for a person and mm-hmm. so much for their mental health, but there really is no option out there now yeah. for that, that I just want to be close to you and I just want to hold you. Yeah. And that doesn't exist and i have many friends who have gone months without feeling human touch Mm -hmm. and yeah there needs to be other ways to do that
0: do people have you i mean i feel like i know the answer to this as well already but do you find that people especially in the able-bodied community treat you as fragile
1: oh for sure yeah um and whether it's a conscious thing or not, I'm definitely treated as fragile from the point of view of, I need to help you cross the street. Mm-hmm. Even I need to help you through this door. Um, I need to help you out of the car, even though I drove here on my own, which I never get, but yeah, it happens all the time. Yeah. And then to the point of view of sexuality as well, yeah. i I've never had a partner that hasn't said at one point or another, I'm afraid I'm going to hurt you. I'm mm-hmm. afraid I'm going to break you. And my body is quite hardy. I can do a lot more than you think. And I know where my limits mm-hmm. are and I can communicate that, but you have to talk them through it because they're not used to my body.
0: Mm-hmm. So Even it, in such an intimate moment, you have to educate people. Yeah. Wow. You, you
1: always have to um, keep that in mind and and. Be conscious of their needs and their fears Mm -hmm. as well, because it's something brand new for them in most cases, or at least your body is something new for them and something very foreign. So Mm -hmm. you you always have to keep that line of communication going and Mm -hmm. explain to them that it's all right and I'm okay and always be reassuring.
0: Experiences of sex and love can be complicated for just about everyone. However, when is the last time you considered sex and how it relates to people living with a disability? So much of our conversations around sex positivity and sex in general are centered on able bodied experiences of sex. We cannot and should not rely on individuals living with a disability to educate and hold spaces for conversations relating to disability and sex. I would encourage you and anyone listening to this podcast to check out resources and information regarding sex and disability at your local library. Or if you're in Halifax, check out one of my most favorite places, Venus Envy down on Barrington Street. They have so many great resources, lots of zines and and books and all kinds of information pamphlets uh, and also a lot of fun toys. I greatly appreciate April's candor and honesty on this subject. It is enlightening and incredibly frustrating to hear. Not only is our society creating barriers around mobility and accessing of services, we are also limiting the sexual experiences of people living with a disability. We need to do better. April and I have certainly covered a lot already in this interview. We're running over one hour. Originally, I had anticipated that interviews on this podcast or podcast episodes in general would be between 30 minutes to one hour. But there's just so much here that's important to listen to. And April said some really, really valuable information that I just think everyone should hear. We finished our conversation discussing chronic pain, April's core values, and we learned more about her work with the amazing organization here in Nova Scotia called Sail Able. Wow. Well, I've certainly learned a lot already. <laughs> um, this probably won't make it in the podcast, but today's February 14th, Valentine's mm-hmm. Day. What I was supposed to be doing today instead of this, actually I was supposed to be doing it after this, was going to my pelvic floor physiotherapist.
1: Oh, fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, she booked it and she was like, I saved this date open because I, <laughs> I don't know if there's some people who just would be uncomfortable doing it. And I was like, Valentine's Day, book yeah. it. But the pain's been so bad the last three yeah. weeks that I had to cancel mm-hmm. it. Um, but I just, ugh, I, it's a missed opportunity. Like I'm in pain right now, but it's mm-hmm. fine. You can just live with it. Um, Me
1: too. You know,
0: <laughs> <laughs> i a Yeah, pain. Count the spoons. I know. You just, you just get so used to it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's, for me anyway, I'm not sure it's different for you, but um, I'll be fine, fine, fine. And then all of a sudden I won't be. Yeah. And it's like that I'm yelling Mm -hmm. at a car in front of me. Exactly. like just annoyed that I'm waiting in line. Like, ugh.
1: You get so used to pushing it and having it be normal that you're always in these high levels of pain. And then... Yeah, it's just one straw breaks everything. Yeah, and you're over the top.
0: And yeah. it's my dog, my mom who get the brunt yeah. of it most of all. Yeah, often, so God, it's the love people them closest too. to you. It's yeah. always
1: the people closest to you that mm. yeah that bear the brunt of it. So, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. have there been any big lessons or things in your life centered around your otherness that you've learned that that were like hard for you? That like maybe a conflict or something you did that you wish you hadn't done?
1: There are a lot of examples of little things anyway. That I mean it's the same as anybody's life you're learning and and adapting and there are a lot of ways that I did things early on that I wouldn't do the same now Mm -hmm. um a lot around not advocating for myself properly and letting things slide when I really shouldn't have and should have spoken up for myself but yeah there's it's life the same as anybody else's and there's going to be yeah I'm going to learn from what I've done and Mm -hmm. learn from my mistakes and I'm going to adapt as I go. Mm
0: -hmm. Do you have a sense of what your core values are? Big question. I I think it
1: changes so much from, from day to day and week to week. Um, and it changes based on what I'm focusing on at the Mm -hmm. moment. And I have so many different aspects of my life that, uh, yeah, what I'm doing in the moment kind Mm -hmm. of shifts the lens that I'm looking through. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of embrace that, that I'm always kind of questioning and looking for, well, is this something that's still really important to me?
0: Sounds like it's, curiosity is sort yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. Definitely value.
1: curiosity would be for sure, but curiosity and just questioning and mm-hmm. and really asking why asking myself why it is I believe what I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that definitely goes back to my upbringing where we were taught mm-hmm. we weren't allowed to question anything. So now I, I go the other way and even question myself all mm-hmm. the time on, on why it is I believe yeah. this and, and really have to prove to myself that this is something that's important to me. Um, but I'd like to remain really open-minded so I, I don't connect to anything yeah. too permanently. Um, and also I think just because I've realized my life is so temporary, really. Mm -hmm. And uh, from day to day, I have no idea if I'm going to be here or if I'm going to have this same life that I've built for myself that I really just want to show love and to push myself to live as much as I can every day that I get.
0: That's such a Valentine's Day message.
1: It is. Gosh, yeah.
0: I'm putting that a in Walmart quotation card. marks right above your face <laughs> there in a you graphic. Go. Just be like, April Hubbard for president, and, <laughs> and Queen of the Universe, and anything else. Um,
1: You'll be my vice. Okay. Yeah.
0: Oh God. just <laughs> <laughs> anxious responsibility. I'm already like sweating. <laughs> I'm vice chair, vice president for arts charity. Wonderneath. Yes. And when they asked me if I if I would do it, I was like, as long as I can just come, eat the food, crack a few jokes, <laughs> and just like be there for quorum and they're like perfect that's all we need those are
1: very important roles they right are important there. roles
0: i obviously <laughs> do more as well but i'm always like like you i wear a lot of different hats exactly and it's very yeah. easy to get overwhelmed with all the things i've committed to yes
1: yeah, yeah. It, it is for sure yeah wonderneath was amazing they helped us with our disx t-shirts that oh we did. did they, they were okay, amazing good. so
0: yeah. one thing about wonderneath and I, we talk about all the time is that we i love wonderneath i love yeah. it so much inaccessible location totally
1: inaccessible yeah Yeah. although they were good enough that they literally came to our apartment great set up a screen printing press so that we could make these shirts they're wonderful they're great but i mean there's a lot of people out there that don't know that they can access those or don't know how to access those services so um yeah hopefully it'll be something in the future that we won't have to worry about at all and they'll be able to find an accessible location at some point But I realize how difficult that is. I mean, Fringe is looking for an accessible office right now and has been for about six months and has not been able to find anything in our budget at all in Halifax that's accessible. Um, So right now, my director has a desk in an office that's up two flights of stairs that I can't uh, get to. Gosh. So the festival I run is in a place I can't get into. Um, <laughs> and yeah. it's sad, but that's the reality of Halifax right now. Yeah. And it is it is very inaccessible. And
0: A lot of our accessible spaces are being built by developers who want luxury units. And yeah,
1: like- the accessible spaces are very, very expensive. Yeah. And there are a lot of neighborhoods that they just don't care about going into really. Mm -hmm. So they remain very old fashioned and inaccessible Mm -hmm. and yeah, nobody's really thinking of that.
0: Has your, I already know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask anyway, (laughs) has your experience of otherness throughout your life kind of shaped your views on politics and social justice?
1: Uh, it has for sure. Um, Growing up, I was actually very, very political, mm-hmm. and I was training and being trained uh, to run for politics mm-hmm. one day, and that was something that was very, very important to me, to be a part of the system and have my say and mm-hmm. and kind of be a leader and a voice in that way. Um, Can
0: you say which party?
1: Actually, at the time, it was NDP, oh. um, although later in life, I also briefly looked into running as a liberal as well. Interesting. So there's been a couple of parties over the years. Um, but yeah, the more I looked into it, the more I realized that that's not where I can be most effective. Mm -hmm. And I think that has a lot to do with my otherness and my experience Mm -hmm. being outside of the box and being told, no, this isn't for you. Uh, I just started to find other ways to get in and to be effective and started to realize that those ways really matter more to me. And in my perspective anyway, have a more lasting and deeper impact. Um, so because I'm another, I get to really question the system yeah. and and push back in ways that I couldn't if I was working inside of it. Yeah. So for me, that's become more meaningful. And I want to give a voice to the people who don't have it and to really build up their mm-hmm. power and to find other ways um, to work alongside the system, but not necessarily in it, and to have those limitations.
0: Yeah. You've heard of pendulum theory, Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the farther you push, and I feel like there's so many people who are in positions of leadership or have social or cultural capital within Mm -hmm. community who do, they inform policy and they push in ways that are probably more effective than working as an MLA or an MP. We also For have sure. lots of MPs and MLAs and counselors who do good work, but yeah. it, I think it's just as soon as you're part of that system, it just becomes a lot easier to embrace the system yeah. than it does to mm-hmm. push against it. Yeah. Um,
1: it's funny because this was a conversation I was having with Paul Vino the other mm-hmm. day because he was just named as um, the accessibility advisor to the chief, uh, chief administrative officer of Halifax, Shaftes Bay. Interesting. Okay. Um, and so, yeah... It was a conversation that a few of us were having, like, mm-hmm. "Oh, you're part of the system now." <laughs> and if you know Paul, that's hilarious. Yeah, he yeah Never is. be part <laughs> really of the system. Funny. Like, he, yes, he has that role, but uh, you cannot push him around. His no. voice will still be heard, and yeah. he's not going to censor himself in any way. Um, but I don't even know
0: him that well, but I'm just hear <laughs> I'm like, yeah,
1: yeah, it's amazing. Like that, yeah somebody that's so othered and seen Mm -hmm. so outside the box has been able to make it to that point and to be seen as an equal and he'll be working alongside these people. And it's really amazing to see that they're really embracing us more and willing to have our voices heard and and wanting to hear from Mm -hmm. us. And and it's awesome that we found a a representative within our community that we can really lead the way and say yes we trust him to represent us and and not just in the wheelie community in all communities uh, because he's done a great job over the last few years of really researching and learning more about every community and having Mm -hmm. those connections and knowing who to go to and the blind community and the autistic community and all of these uh so that All of our voices can be heard.
0: One thing I really appreciate about Paul is that he does have this kind of like air of accountability. So like he'll Mm -hmm. say things, and then I think someone will say something, and he'll be like, "Oh, didn't know." And they just, you know, he just seems. Yeah, I wish I had more of that myself sometimes. But I love that I trust that he'll say some really powerful, yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, he's he's definitely not afraid to voice his opinion, whether it's popular or not. But he's also very humble in in. If he gets more information, he'll be the first to say that, okay, yeah, I didn't realize that and, Mm -hmm. and either shift his views or be like, no, I have Mm -hmm. this information, but this is still what I believe.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Growing up, were there any people that, um, reflected back your otherness or that you kind of looked up to?
1: There were a lot of people I looked up to, but not necessarily that reflected my otherness. Mm -hmm. Um... I'd always kind of felt in most of my ways of being other that I was alone and kind of on a planet of my own. And
0: I would love to visit this planet. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, anytime. Yeah. You can come visit. <laughs> I'm going to talk
0: to what Tesla, Elon Musk. and am like, so that's where we should be going. April's planet. Screw Mars. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah they are. There were a lot of people that I looked up to for different ways, but I never really got a view of seeing somebody like me. Mm -hmm. Um, I always felt very separate and different and I was okay with that in most cases, but I didn't see examples of myself out Mm -hmm. there. And I think that drives me a lot now because especially in my disability advocacy, um, I can be an example of mm-hmm. a disabled woman out there yep. who's still living her life, which doesn't really exist very often. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of examples of strong disabled men, uh, who have overcome their disability, oh. um, uh, which I hate I hate that, that part overcome. of it. We need to have more examples of people who are living their lives fully yeah. with their disability and thriving because of it, yep. not despite it. Um, Yeah, but there's very few examples of Mm. women who are disabled. Uh, And part of that just comes down to the fact that in a lot of disability communities, there are less women than men. But also it's a patriarchal thing uh, that those are the voices that are heard first. So I'm really proud in the fact that I can be there as an example of a strong disabled woman who's mm-hmm. living her life and getting out there and, and still leading organizations. And it's not stopping me.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think? I agree. You are amazing. I've already said like 800 <laughs> times. Like people are going to be like, Tyler, are you in love with her? The answer is yes. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> um, uh, I just got to look at what I said in the microphone there and it went like big spike. And I was like, Ooh, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> um, The overcome narrative. Pillow just trying to take me out. Beautiful (laughs) pillow, though. Um, Yeah, the overcome narrative. How do you feel about that and that language that's used most often?
1: Um, I think it comes from a very ableist perspective that we either... There's two approaches in the able world of seeing disability. One is the superhero who has (laughs) overcome and done these superhuman feats Mm -hmm. um, to get over their disability and usually the traditional thing you think of is a wheelchair user who's finally able to get up and walk again
0: yeah
1: and one that rarely happens because most of us that would never be an option and two most of us that might not be our goal anyway yeah um Being able to walk is not the first priority for most of us. Um, There would be a lot of other things that we'd want to do first. For example, for me, I'm in chronic pain and I'd love to be able to get rid of the pain. I'd love to be able to have better health. I couldn't care less if I walk again. In Mm -hmm. fact, with some of my surgeries, I told them, if you can get the tumors out, paralyze me now. That doesn't bother me. I want a quality of life. Um, but from the ableist world, they see it as you can reach the standard of having this certain physique and being able to walk. And Mm -hmm. that is your goal. That's all they can understand. Um, so that's one perspective that we see a lot is being able to overcome and do these superhuman feats. Um, but there's also, I'm trying to think what the second perspective I was going to talk about now is. Well, if you don't <laughs> find it, that brain. first
0: perspective was really good. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah, it's basically like they want you to be either a superhero or they want you to be able to be rescued. The poor oh, disabled gosh, person yeah. who's such a victim and needs to be taken care of. And... It's usually an able-bodied person that's doing the rescuing,
0: mm-hmm. and Sandra Bullock would totally play her in a movie. It's true, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. and we don't need to be rescued from our our plight, as mm-hmm. most able-bodied people see it. We live amazing lives still and can live and thrive uh, despite having a disability uh and that goes into the there's the big d little d disability yeah. conversation and all of that and a lot of people don't want to connect to the term disability because of that mm-hmm. they see it as a negative thing and a weakness and having a deficit but to me it's really i've had a lot of good things that have come out of this identity mm-hmm. and i'm proud to have that and Yes, this one part of my body doesn't work as society tells me it should, but I've gained so much from it. Mm-hmm. And honestly, everybody in the world has something that's not designed normally as society thinks it should. Yeah. Uh, mine's just a little more obvious. So I'm, yeah. I want to embrace it and show that there can be other disability narratives out there.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about Sailable?
1: Uh yeah, Sailable is an adaptive sailing program. So, it allows people with any type of disability to mm-hmm. get out sailing on the water. We have uh three Martin 16s which are adaptive sailboats, mm-hmm. so one they can't tip. Um and they also have uh, we have different ways that participants can sail. For me, for example, I just get in the boat and I can go and everything's controlled all by the ropes traditionally, and I can sail like most people would once I'm in the boat. Um, We have other folks that use our windlass system, which is connected to a joystick. Mm -hmm. So they just use the joystick to uh, bring the sail in and out and also to control the rudder to turn left or right. And then we have a third system, mm-hmm. which is our sip and puff system, uh, which we actually just fundraised last year for a whole new system, which was amazing because we definitely needed one. And uh, that comes down to two straws that are connected to our windless system. So if you sip or puff on the first straw, it brings the sail in and out, and you sip and puff on the second straw, and it controls the rudder. So you can steer wow. and... Drive the boat completely using your breath. Uh, So we have some amazing sailors that compete that way. And we had the Mobility Cup, which is the world sailing competition here in Halifax last year. And we had 30 some odd sailors, I believe, that were out on the water competing and having fun and doing some partying afterwards. And it was a great uh, weekend of sport, but also a great Mm -hmm. uh, bonding
0: time as well. It's so, well, I've sailed and I love sailing, but it is to me, even for me being able-bodied and and just being in those spaces, it is really centered on privileged white men. Oh,
1: it definitely, definitely is. It's very, um, yeah, a very elitist sport, Mm -hmm. Um, but to be able to open up to anybody to just be lifted into the boat, because we have a Hoyer lift that we use and to sail away and see your chair back on the dock and just go and have Amazing. fun it's it's Really freeing and a lot of fun for sure.
0: I hope there are a couple of like multimillionaires who listen to this <laughs> at some point and are just like, "I'm gonna write a million dollar check to see, <laughs> like there a, you go. Fringe as well, please, thank you <laughs> very much." Um, I should uh, also set up a pat Patreon account.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. These
0: folks go. first. I live in my mom's <laughs> basement. I don't actually need the money
1: that much. <laughs> there um, was an amazing yacht that came to Halifax a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and Sailable was invited on to go wow. tour it, and it's completely adapted they sail out of florida they're called the impossible dream completely adapted so the crew is all people with disabilities and people from all over the world with disabilities can apply to go join them for a week or two or more and just sail and it's pretty amazing we had um a quad who has use of one hand who was sailing it when we were out in the halifax harbor that day
0: so cool yeah i can't even imagine (laughs) it's just i wish i hope for the future for the world that we live in maybe maybe it won't happen in our lifetime but that unless climate change takes us in 12 years but that we live in a world where that's just the common practice yeah you know no matter what your ability levels are and disability it is it's just that you just there are opportunities equally for everyone
1: yeah exactly there needs to be more of that that we're Mm -hmm. not thinking about okay we'll provide this for these people it's just this is a service we're providing and we'll find a way to make it work for everyone. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we've talked quite a bit about disability and your, Mm -hmm. your otherness centered on that. Are there any other ways in your life that you feel like you're kind of living like a radical life or one that kind of pushes back against the status quo? Um,
1: there are a lot of different ways that I am in smaller senses. Mm -hmm. Uh, One, just living in an arts community and Mm -hmm. not having a traditional career in that sense. Uh, We're taught growing up that you have to go to university and become a lawyer, a doctor, one of those traditional jobs. Mm -hmm. And that should be what drives you. And for me, that was never the case. And I love my art and for a while I struggled on whether I thought that should be my career or not, but it kind of worked itself out and mm-hmm. I fell into it. And that's what I love to do now, but I definitely don't connect to the societal norms of what you should do for a job mm-hmm. and the nine to five job. And and that's pushing back against society for sure. Um, also in my gender identity, sexuality, all of those. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily connect as firmly as society would want me to and fit into the standard boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, I just fall in love with who I fall in love with, or don't fall in love with somebody and just want to have fun with them. Mm-hmm. That's okay too. Um, yeah, but I don't fit into the traditional norms in that way.
0: Mm-hmm. Are there ways that you feel like you do fit in into the traditional norms?
1: Hmm. I hadn't really thought about that question at all. I think when it comes to my family, I still try to make myself a little more traditional at times. Mm-hmm. And I think because they knew me being so traditional for so many years, I mm-hmm. try to make it comfortable for them and still fit into society's molds a little more when I'm around them. Yeah, And that comes from a place of respect for them. Uh, and I don't do it to a sense of compromising myself in any way, but I I want to make my family comfortable. So yeah. in that way, it's the most important place for me to not be too radical and not stand out mm-hmm. and, and just be there for them.
0: It's Yeah, it's funny because I, I feel like we, sometimes we... Get, talk about our identities or our otherness as a way to disrupt the status quo because mm-hmm. we have the time and the place. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes it's a compassionate act to sort of edit that part of yourself yeah. for family or just for safety and security exactly. or health and wellness. Mm-hmm. And I mean, people do that all over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is a complicated act, isn't it?
1: It is. Yeah. It's mm. It takes energy and takes effort yeah. to have to fit yourself back into those boxes again. Yeah.
0: Gosh. I hope you never have to fit yourself into any box ever again, (laughs) unless it serves you.
1: There you go. That's true. And I mean, there are times where, especially for my health, I just don't go into detail about my identity and Mm -hmm. just don't have those conversations because it's easier. Mm -hmm. And I'm lucky in some ways I can still pass that way for being normal. Yeah. And it, it can be helpful when you need it to be.
0: Yeah. Disability is more than just a diagnosis. It isn't just about conditions found in medical textbooks. Biomedical models are important for recognizing root causes and treatments for conditions, but for many living with a disability, there is no cure. If we focus only on the condition or diagnosis, we will not remove barriers in society. We need to work towards a more equitable world which recognizes the value and importance of having inclusion and accessibility as the first thought in planning and design, not the last. After all, we are all temporarily able-bodied. Ourselves and everyone we know will benefit from inclusive and accessible design. As April had talked about, we don't need to focus on superhero narratives, and we certainly don't need able-bodied folks working to be rescuers. We need equitable practices, services, and design, which allow for full inclusion and accessibility. Full stop. Hanging out and recording episode three with April has been an incredible privilege. She is the chair of Fringe. She's an amazing advocate within our community, and she's just a badass wonder human. April's making Halifax and the wider community of Nova Scotia a better place. Many thanks to April for joining Quirky and or Queer. I have a few other interviews waiting to be edited and uploaded, so please subscribe and share with your friends, families, and especially your enemies. I'm looking to speak with more people about their experiences of otherness. If this is something you might be interested in, or if you know someone who could be interested, let me know by emailing tyler at quirkyandorqueer.com. Thanks to Fieldnote for providing the music for this podcast. And of course, as always, thanks to my main sponsor, Old Mama G, or Glenis as she would prefer you call her, uh, because without being able to live in her house, I would find it a lot harder to exist as my quirky and or queer self. Thank you so much for tuning in and subscribing and listening to Quirky and or Queer. See you next time.